Today's uh, scripture reading can be found in the book of Romans, chapter 6, starting at verse 4, and we're going to read through verse 13. Uh, You can find this in your Black Pew Bibles on page 1,199. That's page 1,199, Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 4, and we're going to read to to verse 13, excuse me. And uh, the, word, the Lord will be honored if we stand for the reading of his word. And the word of the Lord declares, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you once again, thanking you for this time, this opportunity to get to hear your word, Lord Father, and get to know you through the reading of your word. I pray, Lord God, that um, as this word goes forth, I pray, Lord Father, that you may use the speaker today to proclaim your words, Lord, that you may speak through the speaker and through this message, Lord God. I pray that you may uh, give us ears to hear, Lord Father God, that you may um, give us sensitive hearts, Lord Father, to receive your word, Lord, and that can only be done through the Holy Spirit. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit may be in this place. We ask you, Lord Father, that you may give us discernment, Lord Father God, to even test the word that is going forth, Lord, as your word declares that we should test every spirit, Lord. Lord God, I just ask right now that you may be with um, our family here, our family in the United States, Lord Father, our church family in the United States, and I pray, Lord, that you may be with our church family in other parts of the world, Lord. I pray that you may be with those who have been killed for the faith, those who are suffering for the faith, those who are, who are in prison and their families, Lord. We pray, Lord God, that you may continue to strengthen them, giving them, giving them the understanding, Lord Father, that they are suffering for a greater prize than anything that the world can give them. I pray, Lord Father, that we in America with these freedoms will not take them for granted, Lord, and that we will not hold on to them, Lord Father, if one day, if it be your will, that they be taken from us. I pray, Lord Father, that we may learn from them and that we may grow stronger and stronger each and every day, Lord. I pray, Lord Father God, that you may be with us today. Open up our hearts, Lord Father, to receive your word. I pray, Lord Father, that as this word comes forth, that it may shape and mold us to be more and more in the likeness of your son, Jesus. And we just thank you for everyone that's here, everyone that couldn't make it. I pray, Lord Father, that you may be with them and bless them, Lord God. In the mighty name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
historic uh, Reformed Confession, the Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechism, uh, the catechism that the Presbyterian Church uses, begins famously with the question, what is the chief and highest end of man? What must we as Christians answer to such a question? What we must answer is, without a doubt, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What must the unbeliever answer? Without a doubt, the unbeliever must answer that their chief and highest aim is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. How does the unbeliever answer? The unbeliever answers according to whatever truth they determine is right in their own eyes to follow. In most cases, they deny that there is any objective truth. And so what is true for them is as equally valid as whatever truth another person decides to follow, even if it conflicts with their own truth claims. And even if they do believe or happen to believe in objective truth, the God of the Bible is not the author or the source of that truth. They deny God and fashion for themselves idols to worship rather than the true God who created them. Scripture speaks of this as a universal condition, a condition that affects all of mankind, and that condition is sin. Romans 1.18 speaks of God's wrath being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Simply put, God is angry. He is angry because he doesn't take sin lightly. His wrath is an unquenchable flame. His judgment burns hot for sinners. Why is that? Because he is a holy God. And man is unrighteous in their rejection of God. And also in the denying of their purpose as his creation. They deny that God exists, even though the world bears clear witness of a creator. They deny his power and refuse to give him thanks and honor him as he should be honored. Because of this, scripture is clear that God will render all according to their works. Those who do not obey the truth, those who do not follow after the will of God for their lives, those who continue in unrighteousness and sin will find that there will be wrath and fury awaiting them without measure. Take a second to imagine an unimaginable tribulation and distress awaiting all who continue in their sin. And the scripture does indeed emphasize that in and of ourselves, no one of us is righteous. No, not one. There is no fear of God in anyone's eyes. And so there is an issue that we face. And that issue is that the depth of sin being so high and so costly, how will anyone ever intend to pay that debt? The beauty 
is that we Christians have an answer. This answer is one that God provides. Now, is this simply because we're smarter than others or that we've discovered truth and, you know, it's just simply a resort of us being more clever than other people? I don't think so. For it is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, not according to our own works, which Scripture says are but dirty rags before God, but by the finished and perfect work of Jesus Christ in taking our sin on the cross. On the cross, Jesus took our sin and thereby endured the unimaginable tribulation and distress, the wrath and the fury without measure, the righteous anger against sin, the unquenchable flame. He endured the burning so that those who would believe in him might have peace with God and be justified by faith. In order for this to be so, hearts that were once like stone towards the law of God, like stone toward willing to obey him, like stone toward regarding him as God and honoring him, are transformed now into hearts that beat and move Hearts that are like flesh. And like flesh, they beat and move and function for the honor and for the glory of God. Now, if you're here this afternoon, you know that you aren't here uh, attending church simply because this is a hobby or a pastime. Rather, you are here because you know yourself. You know that there is nothing good in you. Nothing native that would warrant God to save you. You understand that there aren't enough good deeds that you can do in your lifetime to earn salvation. No amount of paid tithes or no degree of presence in church that would appease God's wrath. You know this. You know that if it were not for the grace of God, if it were not for the grace of God, if he didn't set his affection on you from the foundations of the world, if he did not give you his unmerited favor in Christ, you understand very well that there would be no hope for you. This is the gospel, that Christ lived a life under the law that we were unwilling to and died the death that we deserved. To die as a punishment for our sin and to be resurrected so that we might find new life. This is favor. This is favor that is unmerited. We don't deserve this, but God is faithful. Amen? In the context of the passage this morning, Paul deals with an objection that... uh, some might have posed or he's anticipating, having answered, after they learned about the acts of grace. You see, some may have reasoned that because we are saved by grace and not our own works, then there must be a freedom to sin because, after all, you know, our redemption and our eternal life has been paid for, right? This may seem nonsensical upon reading that anyone would come to such a conclusion, yet 
there is a way in which we Christians are guilty of practicing this at times. We practice this by being slothful in the killing of our sin in our lives to rest so much on grace that we at times don't have the urgency to repent. The fear of death and punishment being behind us, we at times slowly slide further and further into sin. Further and further into the things that we know that God does not approve. And it isn't until we're faced with consequences for our actions do we shed tears of remorse. At times pleading with God that if he would save us from our consequences, if he would just rescue us from our storms, we would do X, Y, and Z and we make all sorts of promises and set all sorts of conditions. If only God would just rescue me and save me. One thing we learn from our reading of the word is of the aseity of God. We, we understand that God doesn't need anything. We know that he is self-sufficient. He doesn't need our worship or our praise. He doesn't need our tithes and offerings. He doesn't need us to be reading the word or, or to be uh, involved in devotions. And one thing we certainly know that he does not need is our flattery and our feeble attempts to barter with him. The truth is, is that when we do this, we at times attempt to make a fool out of God. Realizing this can be a source of great anguish as the question enters our mind as we contemplating, are we seeking God because of what he can give us? Or are we seeking him because of who he is? If we find ourselves saying, praise God, he delivered me from that issue, I need to read more Bible and I need to pray more and we never do it, then there's a problem there. There's a great issue there. That line of reasoning seems to suggest that praying more and reading more Bible is a means of paying God back and gets glory ascribed to his name. We should gratitude, world. This should grieve us, family. We should be repentant for heart's delight when God is pleased and gets glory ascribed to his backs on him. We should be pleased when we are victorious over the world and over our sin because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't settle for days paying God to give us what we only then to turn our backs on him when we get what we asked for. We have been. It is this very thing that Paul is looking to unpack and reflects passage. For if once have been baptized, into faith, then symbolically we have been buried dead with him into death. And because the symbolism reflects a true reality that takes place, once a person possesses saving faith, he or she means that we are dead to sin. And because Christ has been raised from the dead, we have mean assurance that we too can rise. Our And as the text says, walk in a of life. This doesn't mean that we are no longer going to sin or we don't have to rely our soul in our mortal bodies, but what it does mean is that sin is our master. We are no longer slaves to sin old. We no longer desire to do what is right according to our own with him, so desire now to honor God and consider what is us by his standard. The text says our old self, the 
old man that once was has now been crucified with him so that sin would be powerless. You have been for us. If you are, even though you sin, you are no longer a slave. You are to sin. You have been redeemed by God. Free to grow through Jesus Christ. God and the beauty of that He created for reality is that you are free. Over has a grow in godliness, free to grow in sinlessness. Christ, all that God had purposed you to be when he created freedom, then we over the sentence of death, which no longer has a sting, is glory. For we know that if we died with Christ, we have crucified our flesh. Then we will live with him and live to him. And this church family is glorious. Generation. Paul continues, and he concludes, continues, uh, consider yourself dead to sin. This is his call for us, family. Make you, for Christians all throughout the generations, be dead to sin. For unrighteousness, he continues, as verse 12, let not some death for reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourself not under God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have as an attempt dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under after. If you're breathing and you're living right at the, you understand very well that there is an attempt from sin death, uh, a con within you that seems residual after its great feet. And it's something that Paul is powered to be of. He tells us that the law has power. We are there only to condemn. In, but the beauty is that we are on And under grace, we are empowered to be victorious over all things through Christ from his strength. We are therefore commanded to refuse sin from reign in our mortal bodies. Why? Once as in Christ Jesus, we have, we are fighting from pleasure and not for, we are to victory. We are therefore commanded to refuse, once again, from reigning in our mortal bodies, selling it to make us obey its desire to displease God. We are to be endeavor earnestly, all of the Christians, present ourselves as instruments unto God. Live in this flood, we must repent. Right. Should be said that the whole of the Christian lost is about perpetual repentance. And in that same, as long as we live in this flesh, how we know that there will be a, what we put fight that won't ever leave us sinless. So, in the same way, we are to, we are to look at the gospel. And in that is not a way that we appreciate that the gospel, but it is the, it's about how we are saved, but what we put on every single day to fight. Now, with three, is the same way that we are to look at repentance. Repent, true repentance, only the means that gets us saved, but it is the means to aid our growth unto God willing.
Now, with the help of Pence Watson's book on the doctrine of repentance, spirit, I'd like to spend the remaining time to go over what true repentance is. We can take heed to what Paul is calling us to do in killing says made up of six finds repentance as the grace of God's spirit, whereby a sinner is inward and visibly reformed. He describes Watson as a spiritual medicine that is made up of six ingredients. And we're going to be wet ingredients right now. Ingredient one, repentance of sin. Watson says, quote, before we sin must first be seen before it can be judged for, end quote. Knowing what they, if we are to undergo true repentance, we must seek but what error we are in against God before we can grieve for it. Hopefully that'll make you feel. Imagine someone apologizing to you without knowing what they did that wrong. You ever have someone say, hey, I don't know why you're upset, but you know, I, you know, you feel some type of way, so the right act to apologize, and uh, you know, hopefully that'll make you feel better. Where the that's not, a, and it's that you accept, considering it's judging your nature, and that, the right attitude would be to acknowledge reason the fault was, and it's the same attitude that we should have about sin. It is about a word to them that God is holy, and that even the slightest speck of specks of sin that we do is cosmic treason and enough to warrant death. God has given us his word so that we might knowing what he approves of, what he loves and what he delights in, but also what he is disagreed with. Knowing the Bible becomes less and less about actual power, knowing facts about it and more and more about knowing the author. Distinction. Ingredient two is sorrow for sin. Sin is sorrow for sin is a natural posture once a person sees sin for what it is. Esau, there is, however, a distinction that must be more made on what true sorrow over sin with miss. Sorrow for sin isn't merely a sad and sour face. Sin. Even Esau, when he sold his birth, but God therefore despised it, sought after with many and found it further than he had all the appearances because of godly sorrow but God rejects him because true sorrow over sin not because goes much much further than and in many tears shed sorrow it isn't merely being sorry because sin Watson says a thief can punishment maybe be sorry because he got caught but not because he stole in the first place Feel sorrow, and in that lies the truth of what sorrow for sin truly is. It is remorse as a the sin committed, not just simply the punishment. Again, if we are honest with the sin at all, we know that there are times when we feel sorrow over the consequences of our actions rather than the act of sin at times. To recognize this as a Christian at times causes us grief as we a holder if we're truly sorry over the sin at all. We may consider that because it has been so faithful to us, but when we look at sin at times, our concern is that it's, it's more as you should, consequences, rather than the offense against a holy, dangerous, righteous God. And this can be a difficult thing to wrestle with, because if you're sorrowful over the fact that you that he would pray, that you don't feel as badly for sin as you should, of course, 
it can be quite that dangerous thing. Where beauty is that there is still room to in, in our there is still room to pray to God that He would enable our hearts towards sin so that it is with remorse. And read that God would do an illness and work in, in a transformation in, in our beings and in our members so that we can merely be able to see sin for what it truly is. Endless. And how beautiful it is in its darkness and its vileness. The instance, sorrow for sin shouldn't merely be about ordinary depression over sin. Who looks at this? The beautiful thing that the Catechism enjoys is that saying that in the beauty of grace is that in our repentance, God lives up our sorrow. They, ordinarily, a person who looks at the law may grieve because they understand they cannot accomplish these things. They understand that native is an inside of themselves, though they have no strength and no power to obey God's word consistently, or at all, for that matter. But is that beauty of grace work, understanding that although the believe, unbelief we can may despair, we, we as Christians have hope. And that hope, and this is the Christ has already finished the work on our behalf. No, in our we not perfectly obey it. We know that they have an advocate that takes us. Peace. And this is the beauty of Christianity of sin. The beauty that in our seamless moments we have a father remorse who is there, ready to embrace us. Enough. The truly repoint is confession of sin. Now, we would think that it must be being sin for what it is and being remorseful over it, uh, over the fact that we are out of a stuff. But to truly repent, truth, we must make confession for our sin. Sin. This confession must be voluntary. Why light cast that it must come as water out of a sick man freely? The truth is, if we are sorrowful over our sin, if we are, then we must have no desire to it. Just as light cast to the darkness, or the body in sick make cough up phlegm, so must our natural rejection of sin be. Urgency, if we are truly to be confessing it. If again we decide that we the scriptures and desire that our members be instruments of God unto righteousness, as sure that we are commanded, then we must confess with urgency and great energy. I mentioned earlier, leave no room for the devil. Must confess our sin. We should also make sure that we are up. We understand exactly what what year we are confessing about. As I mentioned earlier, we can get to a place where we are saying, hey, "I messed up, so please forgive me." That isn't confession with because vigor. How God messed up is important. What you thought was more important, or a delight rather than obeying God, is important. Because ultimately, when we sin, we, it's because we choose something else over God to delight in. The acknowledgement of that, rather than to serve God, is what we create is as idols. And we worship that instead of God. And that must be put away. That must be put away with vigor, put away with all sincerity and seriousness. Do not. Our confession must also come with the 
resolve to not do it again. Build in the words of the Eminem, Ojin, Yoda from Star Wars. Do not to make or do not. There is no try. There is many times our foothold filled with God, I'll try harder next time. Or God, I'll try not to do that again. And while God, and at times we have a certain caution not to make promises that we can't keep, be a serious. The matter is that we have to be cautious that we don't allow footholds for that sin to perpetuate us to have. Telling God the effect that we are uncertain if we're going to do so, sin or not, it can be a problem. Be a serious issue. Watson said, Oh God, that it is vain to confess to have, but we done the things that we ought no intent on, and to still continue to do so. No. It would be wrong for us to say, oh God, uh, you know, that was bad, that was wrong, game that is. But we make no resolve and no intention of no longer set up the people again, make no provision to repent from that sin. War. Chess is a game that is compared to movie times. But when the character loses a chess game, they can simply set up the pieces again and can again. Over and over. Dangerous to expect that in a real war. Right? The movie. There's a movie called The Edge of Tomorrow where the character reads Tom Cruise uh, for reason. The movie and the film continues to live the same day over and over and over again. And at um, some point, towards the middle, towards the end of the movie, um, would be, we see that his character loses the ability done today. The movie really starts to get a lot more tense as we understand the gritty incision and every action plays a lot and more of a weighty cost when there would be no redos and no redones. The weight of war, the gritty and vicious nature of war is our added evidence when the consequences are severe, that we will, if we are at war with sin, then there can't be any room for the enemy to establish a foothold. Our attitude and our resolution must be to declare God and say our confession of sin that we will resolve not to do it again. Access the shame for sin. We spoke earlier of the amazing grace of God in saving wretched people like us. Sin makes us once enemies of God in our acts of sin. Shame as redeemed persons only sin and are brought to repentance. That there should be a shame on our part. A matter of great shame because sin makes us guilty before God. And in our guilt, they're comfortable. Also, if you consider that every sin you do, contrives. the act is a matter of great ingratitude unto God who redeemed you. Passage. Shame is the opposite of being comfortable. And there is a reason why it should not be comfortable with our sin in our lives. It is, if Adam and Eve, one of these things that Paul deals with in the context of the passage, their sin shouldn't be so comfortable with our sin based on the grace as if it's a get out of naked free card. By close, we would also do well to remember that when Adam and Eve first came, they realized they were naked. We were, and in their sin, they were ashamed. The be- and that biblical example is that God atoning repentance, nakedness, and shame by clothing them. It is the same in the garden. Once we were sinners, we were naked in a sholi in our sin. 
The beauty is that God, in granting repentance, has clothed us as well. And how we not in animal skins as he did in the garden, but with white robes as adopted holy children. For when we consider what he has done, has when we consider how vast and how immeasurable his grace is, we should be ashamed when we sin. Let us not create show that is attempting to stain what God has given us. The next ingredient is hatred for sin. Our relationship perfect and with children of God is so that if we profess to love him, then we must hate love what he loves. But then also by virtue, hate. What so since we, our love for him is imperfect and we know this. If we have an indifferent attitude towards what he loves or what he hates, then there, is, there seems to be a problem with us, us that so since we know that the wrath of God burns hot, his presence will, then we must also hate sin. Begin. Anyone who wrestles with sin not knows that there is a longing that accompanies us, that we cannot wait for the day that we are in the Lord. And in his presence is that we can put off the flesh of sin, be given new bodies that are uncorruptible and not so that would sin, that that would be a wonderful and glorious day. Another aspect of hatred in a body is that if there is war against sin that we are waging, we must know that if we're going to wage that war faithfully, we must wage it in earnest. This may be shattered. Two fighters can spar in a boxing ring and barely break a sweat. To kill some, we would say that they were fighting, right? There is no conviction. And the fill, you know, aren't taking it seriously, so they're just maybe shadow and boxing and, you know, going through the most kind. In order to kill something, you must have hatred for it. Every fiber. And if we understand the filth the of sin and the horror that it has brought mankind in our, and the grief of people as well on us, then every fiber of our, this lying would be brought into the hate of sin, the holy hatred of sin. And we would look to written, we are like in ourselves, but in other people as well. This last point is turning from sin. And I've heard an illustration say that in sin we are like pigs found eating from slop buckets. Sin sounds nasty. Once we are saved that and transformed into what we were created, Christ, men, it would be foolish to go and eat God of that slop bucket again, right? So the same can be said for sin. And it, we Paul's argument in the text. Having been redeemed and buried with Christ, baptism, there is no and godly reason why we should return to what we were once slaves to. Buckets for us. Now have a new master, Jesus Christ, who by his sacrifice, it has liberated us from the bondage of sin, repent, and united us to the do it fall. No more slot buckets for us, guys isn't just so to conclude. It is important that we manner serious the good and godly against the essence, not looking to do it falsely, but to practice it in will end. Understanding that repentance isn't just simply about how we are saved, but the manner in which we wage war against the effort of sin in our members.
an effort that we are promised that one day will end grace when God brings us home. There's, there is, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this and pray the day that you have given us. Father, if we, Lord, that breathing, Lord, we understand that it is grace. Lord, if it is, there is another member, Lord, we understand that there is another. Obey your word to give you glory and praise and honor. And so, Lord, that you may help us wage the war against sin by seeing to in our members so that we may obey your word and not only are going to reign in our mortal bodies. We understand at times, Lord, wrestled with particular sins that seem to always get the But as in then, we at times feel as if we are going around in circles and not making it power. But Lord, we know, Father, that the victory rest in your grace. We be encouraged to continue to sin. But as in may we torment to fight the fight, attack sin more. Knowing that from this power, Lord, your Holy Spirit, we have given the victory. May we be encouraged, punishment, true hatred for sin. We be earnest and attack sin wherever we may be with vigor, O Lord, in area of knowing, O God, how you feel about sin and what the punishment is for those who continue to live in.